Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm not bad, thanks. How are you? Sorry about that. I'm all right. Thank you very much. Well, we're both all right, and that's not bad for a Wednesday. Hey. I say that like Wednesday would generally be a bad day, which is obviously it's not. hump day. Oh, I remember I that. That means. Did you ever do a postal call on a hump day? I definitely did. No, I don't have any glutes, do I? Yeah, but you could be like hump day, like show your delts and be like, rather, yeah, rather have these humps than these humps. And you also do have glutes. I've seen your legs and they're like shredded to hell and you still got glutes. I mean, obviously you've still, but like, there yeah. you got glutes. Anyway, anyway, do you have anything wildly exciting to share? Yes, I heard that Adele has been training twice a day and everyone's very uh, worried about her. Oh, of course they are. God forbid. God forbid. I know. It's, it's very concerning. I've not been able to sleep. Well, I um, saw that another man with the podcast has Joe Spencer on his podcast and I just just an absolute charlatan um oh I saw this I know who it is now and I actually laughed out loud right because I just thought it's really enjoyable to watch these podcast hosts create their own downfall of credibility like they don't need people like us or anyone really calling them out like they're doing a fantastic job of it themselves every single time one of them announces the next nutrition person on there and I'm just like this is great for everyone else because like one person listening might not hear the charlatan in one message but once and you see this in some of the comments on the podcast once someone's had completely opposing views 10 times in a row or someone that is clearly like snake oil central on their podcast immediately they're like okay that's like now I lose credibility and I don't know about you but like certain podcasts where I know their nutrition advice is crap it it makes me doubt everything that they have on their podcast I just think I don't know how to be critical so much of dating advice say right or any sort of other advice because I don't know how to read that research so I'm gonna but if I don't trust your nutrition that's the type of nutrition people you have absolutely you'd be buggered if I listen to any of the rest of well, sadly this actually happened to me with the new scientist no I know I know and that genuinely like people listening probably won't won't know this but um I I just grew up with that like that was like what was always in our house. My mum's got like a lifetime subscription. Every time I had a bath, there was like a big stack of the new scientists next to the bath. So like, that's what you'd read in the bath. Normally the information's like, oh, well, I thought really quite good and quite credible. credible. And then not like, you know, and it happened like two or three times. The nutrition information was just horrendous. And I was like, damn it. I wonder how much of this I've been reading and been like, oh, I know about this and actually it's wrong because you're right like anything else in it realistically I I don't know enough about to like debunk it pull it apart and know if it's right or wrong mm-hmm. so that was a little bit that's um, more that's uh, more upsetting than a man with a podcast to be honest and I think like in some ways I think you're right 
but then I worry about all the other people who for example are listening to it for the dating advice and then hear the nutrition on educated on it and are like oh that must be right or even just the amount of stupid supplements like I think one of my least favorite at the moment is the pushing of the electrolyte drinks I'm like most of us shouldn't be drinking electrolytes most one of the what you know like if you're like listening to that and you're overweight and you've got high blood pressure but drinking electrolytes is not what you should be doing and most of us aren't sweating loads you know like if if you're like oh it's summer in Dubai and I'm just dripping in sweat all the time great drink some electrolytes or you've just had diarrhea or something but like aside from that like you don't need to be getting up and drinking electrolytes and it could be doing you like could be doing bad things for your health yeah I haven't actually seen that push um it's called but... element oh oh yeah I have actually it's on it's on one of the podcasts I was doing <laughs> the podcast. um now that you're reminding me of it yeah no I totally agree as well like I even I listened to I listened to a podcast the other day with Stefan Guionet mm-hmm who's incredible right but and obviously it doesn't discredit him because he was just a guest on it but the start of the podcast is like I've been waiting so long for these prenatal supplements to come along and blah 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 and I almost turned it off before it even started because it's just like why are you just peddling so much crap like it's I think the information in the podcast afterwards is great really useful and interesting and actually kind of changed the way that I was thinking about um GLP, glp1 um drugs as well interesting in what way mainly because he was saying which now i think about it, i'm like that's totally true like i think i've maybe downplayed them a little bit to, to be like oh it's probably evening the playing field it's actually like quite a pharmaceutical enhancement of the playing field like you might be bringing people back up to like normal hunger levels but then like or you know and then some well mm. then less more mm. to the point um yeah but also then just like hearing all the stats around them again I'm like that you know some of them are almost as good as um as surgery weight loss surgery and you're like yeah wow, without you know people talk about the side effects but actually then the side effects like aren't from what we know like obviously we don't have long long-term studies but they're not that bad do you know what? Like compared to the side effects for someone with type two diabetes and obesity, like fantastic. I think with any of these things, it's kind of like okay, well, if someone's in a healthy BMI and they're taking it, that's very different in terms of their side effects. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, because you're right. Any side effects if you're in a healthy BMI, not worth it. Mm-hmm. If this is life changing for you, and actually, like you know, the most common side effects are like gastrointestinal distress. And and that can be quite severe, especially when you first start taking it. After that, God, mm. maybe someone's laced me with um, GLP one, um, Ozempic, yeah, or something. Maybe it's, it's me. Just... It's me. Well, I, I did it via Zoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put this in a the conspiracy. I want to sap you of all of your energy and make you go to bed for a week and sleep. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay, should we get started on the questions? Yeah, let's do the questions. Okay. Yeah, do you know what? I just did a podcast um, for an old 
she's not old client of mine um she's a physiotherapist Pilates teacher so her audience is not nutrition um but they get asked nutrition questions so she asked me to come on about talk about relationship with food and body image in half an hour one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've done in such a long time because and the reason the reason I'm saying this it reminded me of the overarching way to talk about relationship with food and body image we ever especially everyone that does EIQ you have so much knowledge and you get so drawn into the nitty-gritty of like either research or like tiny little parts that we talked about on a live that's really interesting or whatever it may be when realistically majority of people don't give a crap and don't need to know and so for me doing that podcast it was a really nice reminder of, of just like this is how you talk about things I came off and recorded a reel in three minutes and then posted it and I was like oh yeah it's really nice like if you struggle with you know talking about what you do or talk like talk like sharing content or your, the business side of things you know this is stuff we would say anyway but can you take a step back and try and explain what you do on a surface level and then start there again because mm-hmm. most of the time we I mean we all complicate things to some degree yeah I noticed that a lot like being away and around people that don't know me and never met me don't know what I do like explaining what you do succinctly in an easy way that like people can understand is yeah such a skill and we do probably well definitely overcomplicate things and then then you end up getting annoyed because you're like what the hell why is Jenny PT doing so well all this stuff is so basic and it's like yeah because like basics what most people want to know and then I think the other thing and, and like we'll both get this from mentoring people but sometimes you might look at our content and be like but you talk about that now you have to remember that we're also selling to you the personal trainer who does need to know more you know or the coach who does need to know more so don't like follow our content and think that's how I'll get clients because we do this really stupid thing where we try to sell to two audiences which isn't a great you know marketing tool but like it's kind of what we have to do to an extent um but yeah don't don't just look what we do and think oh well if you're you're you know talking about those in-depth topics that must be what gets clients because if anything we're probably putting off a few people but then both of us work like Amelia how many of your coaching clients are coaches um I don't really have any more but like probably about on the team like 30 to 40 percent yeah like a lot of them are already yeah. personal trainers right so or coaches or however they want to yeah. identify yeah okay Kelly's question hi ladies how does stress impact managing insulin sensitivity Um, there might be a link via cortisol slightly or via cortisol increasing your likelihood to, well, maybe not so much cortisol, but the stress increasing your likelihood to overeat, to gain fat, to then be less insulin sensitive. Yeah. Like, I think this is interesting. So I looked into this for P- around PCOS because there's like the stress link with PCOS. And um, like, we know that there's a stress link with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes and PCOS for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. There's like the transient thing of it induces like transient hyperglycemia increases in blood glucose levels because of stress hormones. But then there's like the chronic things too of it impacts things like um, lipid metabolism. As an example, it impacts 
there's some cool research around it impacting directly like beta cell function which I think is really interesting I don't know the ins and outs of it but really really interesting um, and obviously beta cells are responsible for insulin production it impacts things like nervous system regulation it impacts so many different metabolic um, pathways long like chronic stress I'm talking about I'm not just talking about you know getting a bit of stress at your job impacts immune function inflammation that impacts your insulin response and sensitivity so yeah there's lots of potential pathways short term long term that stress can impact insulin resistance but you said how does stress impact managing insulin sensitivity I think it's I think important to remember you're not managing insulin sensitivity as much as you're managing behaviors so does it make a difference for you if stress is impacting insulin sensitivity not really because you want to manage stress anyway right if you're looking at health you're going to manage stress anyway if someone is saying to you oh I've got PCOS and I'm like I could have insulin resistance or something or they have diabetes then it's even more important um but it doesn't impact like you're not going to say okay every time you get stressed go for a walk well I mean that's actually quite a nice antidote to stress but you know what I mean it's not like you're not going to say okay physiologically every time you get into a stress state you're going into this hyperglycemic state and you should make sure that you always go for a walk I think that can be quite stressful however if someone is chronically stressed then things that can support insulin sensitivity like exercise etc become important but those are things that you're going to be doing anyway yeah I think sometimes you can get too bogged down in like the minutiae of this and actually like I was re-looking at some of Roy Taylor's research and like the the big calorie deficits and um the Newcastle diet and stuff and then actually I was just talking as well on on a podcast about when uh flexible dieting first came in and there was that guy that was like oh I lost all this weight doing the McDonald's diet and like just eating McDonald's every day and stuff and it's like yeah but that's probably not healthy but then actually you look at the stats and it's like all of his health markers improved all of them why because he lost fat like if you're like don't worry about the insulin sensitivity or the cortisol levels like if if you're working with someone who needs to lose fat for health they need to lose fat for health like you do, the the rest of like actually the hormonal imbalances will usually like sort themselves out when they lose the fat because that's the fundamental underlying problem and i would yeah like i think you can probably stress more about trying to manage these hormones which you can't manage and and then like yeah just get a bit overwhelmed with stuff but actually losing the fat will normalize a lot of it yeah the only exception i would say would be pcos lean yeah lean pcos but again you're not trying to manage their hormones you're just despite what you know people on instagram who talk about hormonal imbalances will say you're just managing their stress levels which could have a potential positive impact on insulin sensitivity how in when you were saying that um there's a link between stress and insulin sensitivity in women with PCOS how do you just anyone just anyone in the sense of and if you look at the diabetes research the link between stress and higher levels of chronic stress and insulin resistance I know I'm more mean with the PCOS because how do you know it's the stress that's causing it not the PCOS well you don't like that that's the thing like I think I think I'm sure there's some research. I mean, I'm not sure because I've not seen it. I would imagine there's some research around like people with PCOS, lean or or overweight, obese class, um, with that compare like people that have higher rates of chronic stress or rate themselves. But it's obviously going to be self 
reported, right? Higher levels of chronic stress versus people that don't. Um, and I know there is some research around like stress in general, insulin resistance in PCOS, but I don't know the ins and outs of it. Mm. So I don't know if they could ever, can they ever really say that? Can they ever really pick it all apart? I don't know. Do you know what I would also like to know is how much um, perceived stress is related to cortisol levels? Mm. As opposed to like physiological stress? Well, more like, let's say you had a group of people and you were like, right, rate rate your stress levels. People, you know, in the highest stress percentage versus the people in the lowest stress, actually what their cortisol level differences were. Mm, I would be interested in that too I think it probably would correlate but like that that's the other thing it's like you don't you know you are jumping to like oh I feel quite stressed oh you must have high cortisol oh that must be impacting this it's like we are jumping to quite big conclusions on an individual basis like on a kind of broader basis if you had a big enough group and you kind of put them into like like how they rated themselves stress-wise I imagine there would be a correlation but on an individual level I don't know yeah agree Annie's question hello I have a client who notices mental chatter around food in her brain or wanting to eat when she's not hungry comes up when she's trying to avoid feeling something or wanting to eat when she's not hungry comes up when she's trying to avoid feeling something only she's not entirely sure what the emotion is she's trying to avoid and can't quite pin it down with the feelings wheel I guess the question is how to help her identify the feeling or emotion so that she can either work through sitting with it or meeting that need obviously you've done a fantastic job of like helping her to get curious about it using the feelings wheel I would, if this, if this were somebody that I was working with, I would probably take the pressure off trying to correctly name it. Now, in an ideal world, we know that correctly labeling our emotions can help with self-regulation. Like even just naming our emotions correctly helps our nervous system to regulate, which is incredible. But what is not going to do that is getting, feeling frustrated as an adult that you can't name how you feel like we all feel like that sometimes and it's frustrating um I would honestly just take the pressure off I wonder if if it were me I would probably do some more like somatic side of things of just like interesting that something's coming up for you um if you can't name it and if you're struggling to name it or like um what's the word I'm looking for intellectualize it effectively I wonder if you could just notice what it feels like in your body instead like where do you feel it and just sit with that, like surf the urge with it in your body. That's like like surfing the urge 101, right? Not naming it, not doing anything with it, but just allowing it to be. Um, because yes, it's important that she can articulate and regulate her emotions, but maybe regulating these emotions at this time just looks like mindful awareness of them and and that's it. Um, that would be the approach that I would that I think I would take. And then over time. I imagine either it will become clearer for her or she'll just get more comfortable with saying with something that doesn't feel right. Like sometimes things just don't feel right for us and we don't know what it is and it might click for her one day and it might not. But the idea being that she knows that she can sit with it regardless and not, you know, not overeat or not, yeah, eating when she's I not. I have um, this feeling that I sometimes feel and I, I can never fully explain what it is. And it's like often... I'm like a little bit thirsty, but I just feel very uncomfortable. And 
sometimes I used to think I felt homesick. It was really strange. Babe, I kind of know what feeling you mean. It's kind of like you're kind of, it's something here, but it's not anxious. And it's just like a tiny little bit hollow, but not sad hollow. Just like there's something like, yeah. I don't know, the same feeling. And then, and then sometimes I'm like, there's a bit, there's discomfort in it. So it's like, normally I'll want something like either I'm like, not, like you know nothing enough to be like oh it's just hunger or oh I'm just thirsty or oh I just need a wee but it's like that kind of like slight discomfort of like I'm not quite comfortable and I don't feel like I'm where I should be interesting interesting and how do you deal with not being able to name it what do you do oh it just passes <laughs> sorry I think, I think as well like you have to accept that sometimes when you get into this kind of work and and I agree like you've obviously done such a good job with this person but it's quite normal to then try and name every single feeling or you know be able to figure out why you're doing every single thing that you do and it's like sometimes you just make a little mistake and it's like but why did I overeat last night and it's like do you know what sometimes it happened there might not have been this deep dark underlying reason for it like you know you did eat well that day but then you just did eat like overeat a little bit in the evening and like sometimes I think you can overthink it and beat yourself up about not being able to figure out exactly why it's not always like a big reason for something and sometimes it's a really surface level of like oh well I just kind of wanted to yeah I agree um Emily just commented here I have a real job naming how I feel but generally know what I need to help me regulate whatever it is I just experimented with different tools to regulate myself um and paid attention to how each one made me feel yeah yeah because I guess the thing is too like you can regulate without naming an emotion because if it feels a certain way in your body I know if something feels physiologically like anxious anxiety um I know how to downregulate, and I know if I feel generally low in mood, whatever that quote unquote feeling is, I know how to upregulate. And so, that if you can be peripherally led, or she can be peripherally led, or somatically led, then it just takes her out of her head. And and I also think too, there's like a like there's a if people don't, if people are like kind of perfectionists or like they have that like want to be right all the time, then they're that is even more frustrating when you can't be right with that thing mm -hmm. okay Rebecca's question hello if a client has a quote-unquote borderline yet stable thyroid and wants to conceive in the near future is there anything out of the normal recommendations for fertility to be considered to support her do you know why I think this is annoying because not <laughs> You're not annoying, Rebecca, or the question's not annoying, neither is your client. Um, because usually when I'm like, in this situation, borderline yet stable thyroid, I'd say, well, it's within the range. I wouldn't worry. There's one thing I would maybe say, but when it's something like, I don't know, when it's something like vitamin D or um, vitamin B or something where I'm like, it's on the edge, I'm always like, oh, well, we may as well do something about it we can supplement with vitamin d or we can do something like with it so i'm i'm the, I'm, quite, I'm not i don't want to be too quick to be like oh it's in range so it's fine because i do think it, the ranges are quite wide and i do think if you're on the edge sometimes it's something to be mindful of but with thyroid there's nothing you can do like there's not no food that has 
any sufficient evidence to say that it's curative or can change thyroid function. But the only thing that I would say, because, because fertility, trying to conceive can be such a, a difficult time for people anyway, um, I would say, when we spoke about this before, to look at goitrogen, goitrogen intake. Um, so like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, etc. Because very high levels of them could potentially block thyroid production, potentially. And I'm assuming that it's high borderline yet stable low, like hypothyroid. So just be mindful, maybe, especially if someone's trying to eat super quote unquote healthily because they're trying to conceive and then they're massively increasing their consumption. And Rebecca, if you Google, you'll get like a full list of foods that like that fall into this category, apart from broccoli and cauliflower. And I would just, I would again I wouldn't say don't eat them. I would just say possibly be mindful. But again, it's not something I would be shouting from the rooftops or putting on social media, for example. But it would be something that if I was working one to one with someone where I had knew what their relationship with food was like and it wasn't like fear mongering or anything like that, then I would have that conversation. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? If you put that on social media, someone would be like, Amelia says never eat broccoli because it'll stop you ever getting pregnant. What? <laughs> Like, it's me why did you say it was completely pointless to walk on a treadmill I was like I didn't say it was completely pointless I just said it's not better for fat but that what said? yeah <laughs> oh, oh god wow but it's like Chinese whispers isn't it or you know what I kind of don't blame it it's like you're scrolling on Instagram you scroll past something although if you scroll past it enough to actually comment then that's yeah yeah, no, I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> um, I think that's all the questions. All right. Um, so the questions. So it was quite interesting, this uh, Adele thing. So someone asked me to comment on it, um, a newspaper. Someone was writing a, an article on it. But it was very, the way it was asked was like, I was like, oh, interesting. You obviously have a very strong bias. This. They're like, they've already asked someone from the Priory like eating disorder specialist to comment on it and then they wanted like a, a sports scientist to comment on it or like a personal trainer from my own experience did someone message you as well someone from a newspaper emailed me about exercise addiction so I'm wondering if that's yeah. really that. it, it's, it's the same thing right okay and I like my response like broadly was like stop judging people based on their actions you don't know why she's doing it mm-hmm and then like, yeah, okay. then I spoke a little bit about the physiology of overtraining and stuff, which like, you know, might be useful, but you can't like, I think people just want these like broad stroke. If you're training twice a day, you're overtraining. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Not if you're an athlete, not if you want to do that. Not if, you know, like, I mean, you can say because like, even in the question, it's like, well, Adele's not an athlete. It's like, she does perform numerous, you know, I mean, I don't actually know what she does, right? <laughs> it was like performing like Beyonce or something like, or like, like, you know, like it's freaking hard to perform for hours and hours. And like, you have to be in pretty good shape to be able to do that night on night. And you think actually, when you take a step back from how people see exercise, if we're just thinking the fitter you are, the more able you are to deal with anything, life, right? This is sometimes why I'm like, when people are like, oh, I'm too tired to exercise. I'm like, look, short term, I get it. But long term, the fitter you are, the more energy you'll have. Now, obviously, there's like a a limit to that and you can't just like have forever energy. But realistically, if you're fitter, like day to day normal tasks will take less energy from you and you'll have more energy for other stuff. 
And obviously the dosing of exercise is important. You have to start people on the right dose and increase it. Otherwise you're going to like, you know, just make them really tired and then they won't be able to increase their energy levels. But yeah, it's just so different for everyone. And I think it's just interesting the way, now obviously I understand that if you're writing an article, you have to have an angle, but that angle is very much going to be like, she there's something wrong with her she's she shouldn't be doing this it's unhealthy to be doing that much exercise I'm like it's not unhealthy you know in, and in, in psychologically there's a there's like a reason that she's doing it but on the surface exercising twice a day given that most of us are so sedentary it's not really like it's probably more healthy than what people think and um- I'm not being funny, but last time I saw you do a post about exercise, you said exercise half an hour a day, six days a week, and now you're telling me to exercise twice a day. So could you please clarify which is the right thing to do, please? Thank you so much. Oh, it's wild, isn't it? It's wild. I didn't get context in my email. It was just like, can you talk about exercise addiction and something else? But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even see that article. So now that, that the context that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what will come out yeah it'll have to be like you know it, it I completely understand publishing like there has to be an angle to it otherwise it's just a bit pointless but yeah yeah but it just reminds me of like when there was that whole thing about Victoria Beckham eating the same lunch every day and it's like <laughs> you know what like maybe maybe she does have a problem and like but it's none of our fucking business if she does mm. she certainly doesn't need it shouted out on on like the news and shit I don't know, I know. like I eating the same lunch every day doesn't mean you have an eating disorder I agree it means you might be a bit lazy <laughs> don't want to change it up every day <laughs> okay back to your questions everyone I have a question oh sorry um how can I join the next intake of the IQ I thought we maybe had pre-recorded this by now because we see if we, that's what we could that's what we should have done and then just you know add it on but but we don't do that, do we? No, we don't. Clearly, we don't do that. Um, you can sign up ASAP now. We start on the Monday, the fifth of February. Monday, the fifth. Oh my god! Honestly, it's it's so soon. It's so soon, and and it's the last time you can do EQ in this exact way that it is, and this way exact way is absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like like I mean, without saying what we're about to do. The people who have done EIQ are going to get a lot for like having done it sooner. Um, so you do, you know, if you're thinking, oh, you know, because I've spoken to a few people recently who are like, I might do this intake or I might wait till the next intake. Oh. The next intake will be significantly more expensive and in a different format. And you will get all the benefits of doing it earlier if you do it earlier now anyone who's watching who's a grad or who has done eiq you're going to get all of this anyway so don't worry about that but yeah we're we're doing a lot of big things are coming this year but i actually mean like big things coming this year to the point that i'm actually a little bit scared about them like that it's gonna like yeah i love hard work but like yeah yeah i agree but it's great and my vedic astrologer said well, I'll tell you what he said later, but you know, it's a good time. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. We're sowing the seeds so we that are. we can have better impact, even more impact. And you want to be part of the impact, to be honest. Because if you don't, you're a loser. And that's just the science fact. You're welcome. Well, there you go. Supported by randomized control trials. Correct. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.